Episode 262 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Self-Publishing School. Get a free copy of Chandler Bolt's book, Published, when you sign up for his free training to take you from blank page to published author in as little as 90 days. It's readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. know this, Jeff, most people just want to be heard. They want to be listened to and they want to be appreciated. And when you ask them, tell me what you want me to know, it's about them. Hi, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. It is the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. It's a part of that process. It has to be. The Read to Lead podcast is going to help you not only narrow this important reading list, but also bring you the key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. That author today is none other than Heather Hansen. Last week it was Kevin Cruz. This week it's Heather Hansen. I love these alliterative names. Her new book is called The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself. I'll ask Heather to share about the impact that complaining has on our lives, how to make a strong first impression, what we can learn from trial lawyers about advocating for ourselves, and much, much more. If you're not already, make sure you register now for my upcoming online conference called the Boss Free Virtual Summit. It's absolutely free. It happens April 30th through May 7th. Most conferences are going to cost you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for ticket, flights, hotel, food, time off, etc. I'm gifting you a free ticket because I know how life-changing this event is going to be. But you got to save your spot now because each presentation will stream live for just three days. Then it'll be locked up in the Boss Free virtual summit vault and there are no boring talks here at the boss free virtual summit you'll witness these experts and me have real raw authentic conversations about a topic in depth with instant takeaways and actionable advice you can use immediately longing to go boss free but not sure where to start you're not alone take the first step to autonomy and freedom by attending the boss free virtual summit already launched a side business but still waiting for it to free you from your job don't fret the boss free virtual summit is designed to help you get there faster already left your day job but not yet experiencing the level of success you'd hoped don't throw in the towel let us help you level up the boss free virtual summit will help you do just that find out more at bossfreesummit.com that's bossfreesummit.com Heather Hansen is a trial lawyer. She has defended medical malpractice cases for over 20 years, was recently inducted into the American College of Trial Lawyers, and is consistently named one of the top female attorneys in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, She works as a communications consultant, combining her courtroom experience with her psychology degree and her training as a mediator to help her clients ask better questions, master objections, and use credible persuasion to succeed. She has appeared on CNN, NBC, the Fox News Channel, and Good Day Philadelphia, and is the host of the Elegant Warrior podcast. Her new book is called The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself. And today she officially goes from being read to lead listener to read to lead guest. (laughs) Welcome officially, Heather, to the read to lead podcast. 
Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. And uh, my goal today, among other things, is to get through this without coughing and hacking as I'm getting over a cold, as you may be oh, able to. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I thought I would start by, uh, before I jump into questions, by having you share a bit about why you chose to structure the book as you did. Talk a bit about how it's structured for those who haven't yet read it. So I have 20 years of experience in the courtroom and s- trying civil cases, mainly medical malpractice defense cases, so representing doctors and hospitals when they're sued. And the book follows the structure of a, of a lawsuit. So lawsuits start with complaints, then we ask questions, we engage in discovery, and then step by step, we get to trial. And then once at trial, we advocate, we object, we overcome objections, we decide when we're going to look for objections and when we're not. And we talk about settlement. So I, for me, it was so natural, Jeff, because this has been my life for so long. And these are the steps that we take. The foundation works its way up. And the book flowed a lot more easily for me because of that. Well, at the beginning of the book, Heather includes a bit of research about um, the effect that complaining has on our brains. I was um, having a, a bit of a, a laugh about this with my, my wife last night as I read that portion of the book to her. And, and the effects, I guess, are to the hippocampus uh, and, and adversely impacting uh, learning and memory. And as I read it out loud to her, I asked her who it made her think of. And we were thinking of the same person. <laughs> <Actually>. <laughs> <laughs> that's hey, that's a good sign that uh, that person might have some of the negative effects of complaining working. Well, as a young woman still in college, what what valuable lesson did you learn, Heather, about the the impact that complaining can have on our lives? Well, you know, I was a hundred pounds overweight when I went to college, and there were things about that that made me less happy than I could have been. I didn't date as much as I wanted to. I couldn't always wear the clothes that I wanted to. I didn't always feel the way I wanted to in my body. And I realized that complaining about any of those things wasn't going to get me anywhere, that it was action movement Mm. that actually would change things and give me fewer reasons to complain. And that also carried on into my practice when I saw that when we were served with complaints at the beginning of a lawsuit, that was only the beginning. Mm. I often say that complaints are a call to action. For me in college, it was a call to action to take better care of myself, work out more and eat a little bit more healthy. But any complaint, whether it's in business or in your personal life, can be a call to action and to move. Hmm. I want you to talk a bit about one of your, dare I say, favorite judges. Is is it okay to call her that? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) uh, And I hope I'm pronouncing it. Rosemary Aquilina, is that correct? Yeah. Judge Aquilina. What did you learn uh, from her about asking better questions? I always say that if the readers or the audience only takes one thing away from the book or this interview, this is what I hope that they take. Mm. Judge Aquilina was the judge. I didn't know her, but I'm an anchor at the Law and Crime Network. And so we stream trials and we streamed the hearings against Larry Nasser, who was the U.S. Mm. gymnastics doctor who uh, violated so many women. Mm. Judge Aquilina was the judge. And at the beginning, Jeff, About 50 women planned to come forward and tell their story, and the majority of those women didn't plan to give their names. By the end of the hearing, over 180 women came forward, and the majority of them used their names. And I think that is in large part due to the question, really a request, that Judge Aquilina asked of each one of those women when they came forward. She didn't say, tell me what happened. 
She didn't say what happened to you. She didn't say, tell me what went on. She said, tell me what you want me to know. Mm. That question puts so much power in the person you are asking that question of or giving that request to. And I think it opened up so many doors for those women to tell their stories the way they wanted to tell them and allowed for Judge Aquilina to hear what she needed to know in order to help those women. So I use that question now in business, at home, with friends, with family. And I think that it is a question that if you start to use it, your life can change. And sometimes with witnesses on the other side. (laughs) <laughs> For sure. You know, it's funny. You, If you use it with someone who is adversarial to you, oftentimes it can change the relationship. It, it brings down walls, you know, because all of a sudden, you know this, Jeff, most people just want to be heard. They want to be listened to and they want to be appreciated. And when you ask them, tell me what you want me to know, it's about them. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they get to say their piece and Oftentimes, you know, many, many lawsuits are filed because people want to feel heard. So if you can start the relationship that way, it may be more likely to resolve. And if it doesn't resolve, at least the person can get something out of it other than a monetary reward. Well, chapter six speaks to the importance of surrounding yourself with with mentors. How have you navigated that journey, Heather? Have, have you ever had someone say no to your request that you that you mentor them? I, it cracks me up because, you know, this is a sad but true thing. I've never asked. You know, it's so funny now because so many young attorneys come up to me, whether it's in the courtroom or in the classroom, I do some teaching as well. And they'll say to me, can I, can you mentor me? Can I be your mentee? And I never say no. And I love the question, but I think that you know, the next chapter after the mentor chapter is about asking and Mm -hmm. being willing to ask. And I think that for me, you know, I'm, I'm in 46 years old, so I didn't feel comfortable asking what I did instead, Jeff, is I just sort of kept showing up. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So I I don't know if I gave people a choice, but to mentor me. Um, But I do think that I can learn from, you know, the studies, and I I say this study in the book, there are studies that show that the younger generation of women are much better at asking for things. Mm. And I think I can learn from that because as I go into different endeavors, as I go into book marketing and doing the podcast and doing some television, I think it's important that I do ask people, can you guide me? Can you lead me? Can you mentor me? But it's something that I wasn't good at when I was younger. Well, connected to that, share with me uh, this goal of, of collecting the yeses that you talk about in the book. What does that, what does that mean? Well, it, it does feed right off of our last conversation because mm-hmm. it's important to ask. And I was never very good at asking, but I always did sort of put myself in that position. So for example, as a young attorney, depending on what kind of law you practice, it's really hard to get your first opportunity to try a case. Mm. It's sort of like doctors, like who wants a doctor who's operating on them for <laughs> to be his first time, right? right? And it's the same for lawyers. And so to get those yeses, to get those opportunities, you have to really put yourself in a position where you're prepared for it and you're ready and then to collect them and to honor them and treasure them because each yes is a step towards where you want to be. And I think the last part of this and probably the most important is to share the yeses, to give younger people opportunities, maybe before you think they're completely ready because without those yeses, we are never going to be ready. It's, you know, it's sort of like any other collection. You have to build it up for it to be of value. Well, I would imagine, Heather, that somebody in your line of work probably tends to work long hours. Uh, What have you come to appreciate about getting the proper rest? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's yes, long hours, but I think there's many uh, jobs in which you work long hours. I think the thing that's the hardest about being a trial lawyer is that it's a zero sum game. Someone wins and someone loses. Mm-hmm. And the only things I can compare to that are sports, you know, professional sports or sports and politics mm-hmm. where someone publicly loses and someone publicly wins. And because of that, it can be difficult to rest because you're concerned that your opponent is not resting. And so you want to always be more prepared. But my mentor um, had been a DEA agent before he became a lawyer and he approached every trial like it was a sting operation. We didn't eat, we didn't sleep, we lived off of M&Ms <laughs> and Diet Cokes. And then one day in a, on a very high stress, long trial, The trial had ended, the jury was deliberating, and I came into the courtroom, and my mentor was in the courtroom alone, and his eyes were red and teary, and he was clearly in pain. And I asked him what happened, and he told me that he was having chest pains. And I begged him to go to the hospital, Jeff, and he wouldn't. I ran to the hallway and got a tip staff, and ultimately, the the tip staff is the court officer. The court officer got him to the hospital, and he had had a heart attack. And that taught me the biggest lesson of my career, which is that it is imperative that you rest. I used to think that if I wasn't totally spent and if I wasn't totally exhausted, that I wasn't working hard enough. (laughs) And that's just not true. And it doesn't serve you or your client if you're not at your physical best, your mental best. I find now I'm an early riser. So when I'm on trial, I'll oftentimes crash at like 730 in the evening, Mm. but then get up at 230 in the morning and get ready for another day of cross-examination and objections. But without that rest, I'm not as good. I think you're trying to send a message to the guy who's not 100% while conducting an interview. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, when we're done here, I command you to take a nap. (laughs) I I, I will. I certainly will. Well, later on after this is over and I'm taking a nap, I want you to head on over to readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. And I especially want you to do that if you've ever had the desire to write and publish your own book. You probably know that's a pretty difficult thing to do. And if you want to write one that makes money and gets read by real people, not just your friends and your family, it can feel nearly impossible. But that's really only true if you don't have a proven system that you can follow. And that's where my friend Chandler Bolt comes in. He's the founder of Self-Publishing School, which is an online education company dedicated to just one thing, helping people like you get your book idea out of your head and onto paper as quickly as you can, and then getting your book published and into the hands of as many readers as you can. So Chandler has put together some free training where he'll show you the exact process to follow to go from blank page to published author in as little as 90 days and the exact book launch blueprint to follow to launch your book to $10,000 and beyond and earn monthly royalties every single month. If you've ever thought about writing a book, whether as an extra income stream, uh, to generate leads for your business, or to share a story you've wanted to tell, you owe it to yourself to sign up for this training. Again, it's completely free, and you can register right now at readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. And just for registering for the free training, Chandler sends you a copy of his book published absolutely free. So if nothing else, sign up for the training so you can get the free book. It's readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. Well, Heather places a lot of importance on uh, making a strong first impression. Heather, what are some things to think about from a communication standpoint to increase our success in that area? 
in the law, especially at trial, we make a big deal about openings and closings. And there's a reason for that. In psychology, we know the primacy and recency issues that the first thing you hear and the last thing you hear are the things that you most remember. So it's important to take advantage of that. And the other thing that I talk about in the book around this is the way that you communicate. So one of the things that I talk about is the curse of knowledge. And I'm going to do play a little game with you here, Jeff, if you'll if you'll allow me and uh, ask you, what is it that I'm humming? I do not know. <laughs> okay. So that is really frustrating for game for me, the hummer, because I'm yes. humming into a microphone and I'm feeling awkward and I know that you don't know it. And I know the song. The song was We Are the Champions by Queen. Oh, okay. But the reason it's so frustrating is because I know the song. Mm-hmm. I have the curse of knowledge. It's very hard for me to imagine what it's like not to know the song. Mm. At the same way, the doctors who I represent, they know medicine. And it's almost impossible for them to not know what they know. So no Mm. matter what you do, you, Jeff, know podcasting. You know the microphone. You know the wires that you need. You know the environment that you need. And it's hard to remember what it's like not to know that. We all have the curse of knowledge in some aspect of our lives. And when you're communicating with someone, you really want to try to put yourself in their shoes and to overcome that curse of knowledge so that you can talk to them on their level instead of on yours. I might have had a better shot if you'd hummed maybe Bohemian Rhapsody or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh Believe me, I, I do that a lot in my keynotes. I, I do, and most of the time, people don't get it. So it's it's a perfect example. There's a study at Stanford where they did a similar experiment and found that most of the time people don't get it, and most of the time the Hummer, and in, in the study it was a pencil tapper, gets frustrated because they're like, "What the heck? Why don't you know?" <laughs> well, what has your trial lawyer experience taught you about the importance of nonverbal communication? It is the most important. So there are studies that show, and I believe that this study is quoted in the book as well. There are studies that show that if there is a difference between what someone is telling you and what their body language and tone is telling you, you are actually better off believing their body language and tone. We communicate, and the statistics on this differ and people argue about this, but what I can say with certainty is that we communicate a whole lot with our bodies. There are two books. I know that your audience is filled with readers. So there's two books that I can highly recommend on body language. One is What Everybody is Saying by Joe Navarro. He is a or was an FBI questioner and he talks about the body language uh, issues that they would watch for when they were doing questioning. And the other is Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. Mm. And both of these books have taught me a lot, not only for witnesses who are on the stand, whether they're my witnesses or opposing witnesses, but also in jury selection. You know, jury selection, we have to choose jurors relatively quickly and their body language can tell us a lot. But before we leave this question, I just want to really underscore one thing that we don't often talk about and that's tone of voice. Because a recent study showed that you can actually find out more about the person that you're talking to, their their emotional state from their tone of voice than mm. from all of your other senses combined. There was a story you share in the book that that 
really fascinated me uh, when a witness for the defense answered a question in a way that you weren't expecting and your mentor kept his cool. But you, you talked about how if the jury had been looking at you and your body language in that moment, oh, <laughs> they would have gotten yeah. a very different picture. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. I was young and was expecting everything to go according to plan. And when it didn't, I'm sure that I grimaced and tightened <laughs> and maybe even shook my head. It's one of the things that I do remind my clients is that they are always on stage. And their body language is very important. That Joe Navarro book talks a lot about um, criminal trials and how studies show that if the a criminal defendant's hands are on the desk, the jury tends to trust them more because our survival instincts kick in. And we believe that if someone's hands are hidden, they could be holding a weapon. So there's a lot to learn from that in any aspect. You know, if you're in a business negotiation, remember that if your hands are on the table, the people on the other side of that table might be more likely to trust you. You talked a bit earlier about Judge Aquilina's question and how it um, helped enable victims to come out with their stories and, and, and do that confidently. What, what can trial lawyers teach us about um, advocating for ourselves? What have you learned there? Uh, This is such a big uh, issue for me because we're not taught how to advocate for ourselves. Even myself as a trial lawyer, I am very good at what I do. I am really good at advocating for others. And women especially tend to be better at advocating for others than they are for themselves. Mm. I have a harder time in my personal life at negotiating, at standing up for myself, at setting boundaries and using my voice. But, you know, I have recently been doing a bit of television on all of these molestation cases that are coming out right now. And one thing I know for sure is that we need to start setting better examples for our children on how we advocate for themselves and then also teaching them how to do so. You know, using your voice setting boundaries and holding to them, learning how to object and how to do so effectively. These are lessons that we need to use every day of our lives. And yet we don't learn them in school. We don't learn them in college. And if you're lucky, you go to law school and you become a lawyer (laughs) and then you learn them professionally, but you have to learn how to apply them personally. That's powerful. There's a quote toward the end of the book uh, that says, respect yourself and others will follow. Teach people how to treat you. Um, It's kind of connected to what we were just talking about. Can you can you unpack that for us a bit? I have a perfect example. One of my best friends is also a lawyer, and she Mm. called me the other day because the opposing counsel was screaming at her Mm. because she had produced something later than he expected it. And that happens. You know, we do our best to get things in on the day that they're due, but our clients sometimes are busy, whatever. He was very upset and was was not the least bit respectful about it. And about a week later, he was late with something. Mm -hmm. And rather than screaming and yelling and doing the same thing that he did, she treated him with respect. She treated him the way that she would have liked to have been treated. And he then came and apologized to her for the way that he had treated her. And I think that that's a perfect example. If you act with dignity and you treat people with dignity, you teach them that that is the way that you are to be treated as well. I think that if you respect yourself and you show that you do that in every one of your endeavors, that you will garner respect from the people that you work with, the people in your family, the people that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. I cannot overemphasize the importance of trust and respect in business, in the courtroom, and in all of our relationships. And if we honor one another's dignity, starting with our own, I think that every aspect of our lives will change. Well, I've got a couple of questions, Heather, I want to ask you that aren't directly related to the book. But before I do that, is there anything else from the book that you, you want to make sure that we walk away with or, or know? 
I just want to make sure that all of the listeners know that you can be your own best advocate. Hmm. You can learn to do this and it just takes practice and it takes tools. And some of the tools are in the book, but I think we have an obligation to do this, especially so that our children can see how it's done and do it for themselves as well. Well, as a successful speaker, uh, what are some of your tips, Heather, for, for delivering a talk that's memorable and, and going to leave an impact with your, with your audience? Well, I, I think there's two parts to it. I think one part is having systems in place so that you know that all of the little things that you worry about are taken care of. So I, I have a checklist and I know that I want a certain type of mic and a certain type of headset, the way that my PowerPoint is going to be. I make sure that I have the PowerPoint on 12 different things in case anything happens. I like my PowerPoints not to have a lot of words, uh, but to have really good pictures. So once the system is in place, Jeff, and I really make sure that I'm really good friends with the team behind the audio and video so that we together have gone through the checklist and we both feel comfortable with one another that everything is in place. And then once that's the case, I can stop thinking about myself and think completely about the audience. What do they need? Mm. What works for them? I don't tend to do a memorized, I mean, I have very much my uh, bullet points but I tend to feed off of the audience if there's something that they seem especially to laugh at or especially interested in. And I also interact with them. I have them draw pictures. I do the humming that we just did. <laughs> so I do tend to play with them a little bit and see what works for them. But I'm much better at focusing on them and their needs if I know that my systems are all taken care of and aren't going to fall apart on me. You mentioned a couple of books earlier, Vanessa, uh, in her book. She's been on the show actually before, and then there was one other, yes. one, I think. Um, think about the books that have had maybe the biggest impact on your career and on your life. What are the one or two titles that come to mind as having an impact on you and maybe sure why or how they've, they've impacted you as, as they have? Well, I can give you three that I think have made a huge impact on mm. me. One is um, The Law of Divine Compensation, which is by Marianne Williamson. And that is a more spiritual book, but it does talk about the need to approach the world with an attitude of abundance. Mm. And I think that that applies to anything in life, business, the law, certainly the work I do with television and the podcast. If you look at the world as a friendly place, I think the world becomes a friendly place. So that book has been helpful. I think the second book is one that I heard the author on your podcast and I loved your conversation with her and I went out to buy it. It's called The Serving Mindset mm. by um, Farouche Brock, I think is her name. Yeah, Farouche, yeah. Farnoosh, yes. And I just, as I started to make the transition from doing primarily trial law to doing a little bit more consulting and coaching, that book has been invaluable to me. Mm. And then the last book is a book that might seem a little bit strange for reading to lead, but I highly recommend it. And it's Atul Gawande's book, The Checklist Manifesto. Because as I stated earlier, it's all about systems. Mm. And making. He, he writes this for doctors because they found that when they had checklists in place, complications decreased substantially. You know, we're all human. And without a checklist, we do forget things. Things don't happen. You know, somebody comes in at the last minute to the hospital and then all of a sudden, if you don't have a system in place, things can slip through the cracks. Same thing with my speaking. If I don't have that system in place, things can slip through the cracks. And once you have that checklist, you're able to be far more creative, far more productive. And so I think that that book is a good one for anyone, not just for doctors. Love those recommendations. Um, think beyond the book for a moment, Heather, if you can. What's ahead for you and your team that you're excited about? 
Well, it's, um, you know, we have a lot of travel coming up around the book, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. I love speaking about the book and having conversations, not just speaking, but also listening and hearing from people what they enjoy, what resonated with them and what didn't. I have a lot of corporate speaking coming up uh, in the next few months, Mm -hmm. um, which is great. And I'm really fortunate because the the people that hired me are buying books for all of the attendees. So again, it gives me the opportunity to have conversations with them about the book. I hope to, I don't know if it's going to be another book or what it's going to be, but I hope to share with parents how to teach their children how to advocate for themselves. Because I've seen so much recently where children just don't know how to do this. And I think that it's an important part of the conversation that we're missing. So that is something that's sort of in the back of my mind. And then maybe, don't quote me on this, but I'm putting it out there into the universe, maybe a fiction book. I've started it and I haven't finished it, but I might go back to that. Oh, interesting. Well, uh, the book we've been talking about again is called The Elegant Warrior, also the name of the podcast, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself. Her name is, it's unforgettable, Heather Hanson. <laughs> uh, Heather, thank you so much for taking time out to, to be with us here on the Read to Lead podcast today. I appreciate it. Jeff, it was completely my pleasure and a privilege. Thank you very much. For more on Heather's book, to dig in more into our conversation, or to check out any of the five books she recommended, visit the blog post page just for this episode. You'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 262 for episode 262. I hope to see you at the Boss Free Virtual Summit. Visit bossfreesummit.com to get registered for free right now. And speaking of free, if you'd like a free copy of the book published from Chandler Bolt, all you need to do is sign up for his free training on how to go from blank page to published author in as little as 90 days. Visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash published to find out more. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Lead.